How many still like swings? Yeah, me too. I'm like, I go and I try and go as far as high as I can, even like to this day, and the whole frame shaking and things like that. But uh, but I used to try that when I was a kid. I used to go on the swing and uh, I would uh, I would go as high as I could and I would try to catapult myself off the swing. Um, because I've always been a bit of a, an adrenaline junkie. And whenever there's like a, a new roller coaster, I want to go on that roller coaster. Whenever there's something that's kind of, kind of dangerous, I want to do it. And so like about six years ago, seven years ago, I went skydiving for the first time. And I tell you, if you've, ever been sky, if you've never been skydiving, you must do it at least once in your life. It's, it's the best uh, adrenaline rush you'll ever have in your life. It's just wonderful. I mean, and then the parachute opens and you can see, air, see for miles and everything. Best thing I ever did. Probably the worst thing I ever did, adrenaline junkie, was a bungee jump. And the reason was is because a couple of months after uh, I did the bungee jump, I was playing soccer and I broke my leg. And I swear it was because of the bungee. Because it's like they put this stuff around your ankles and, uh, and it jolts your ankles. And I'm sure my ankle kind of went out of place when I did it. But still, it was actually an even better adrenaline rush than, uh, than the skydiving. And what happened was back in 2001, uh, myself and four of my friends, we went to uh, the island of Rhodes in Greece for a holiday and uh, for a vacation. So uh, we went there, and they had all these different things there, and it was right. I mean, if you've ever been to Greece, you'll know it's, it's, it's just incredible and beautiful. Uh, pretty basic, you know, five-star accommodation there. It was like a Super 8 motel here. And so, uh, but it's, it, it's a great place to go. And they had, like, all these different, like, bungees and stuff, and there was one going into the sea, and there was one over the pool. Well, the one over the sea, they had a big, huge line. It was a little bit more expensive. And so I was like, oh, I want to do the bungee, but I haven't got time to wait. In this, in this line. And so there was one across the road at this little hotel, and basically they had this big crane about 150 feet in the air above, uh, above a swimming pool. And uh, so I went in there, there wasn't much of a line, kind of, I should have guessed at the time, you know, there wasn't much of a line, but there wasn't much of a line, so I went and I did it, I paid my money, and I'm like, I'm ready to go, all my friends were a bunch of wimps, and they decided they didn't want to do it. So uh, I, I went up on this crane. And suddenly, as I started going up, I started, my knees started shaking and wobbling. You know, you know how they do it. I'm not scared of heights at all, but this thing was unreal. I mean, it was like rattly, it was shaking. And we got about 120, 150, between 120, 150 feet in the air. And they said to me before, he says, now, do you want to go in the swimming pool when you bungee or not? And I'm like, in the swimming pool, of course, you know? So I get up there. And I stand on this top of this crane. It's shaking like crazy. And I look down, and this is what I see. A blue dot with concrete all around it. And I look down, and I'm thinking, okay, I know I've got enough in, in, in my rope, so I, hit, so I go in the water. But what are the chances of me hitting the water? All I can see is concrete. And this fear just came over me. And this guy says, you ready? I'm like, I'm just holding on to the sides. I'm like, no. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. He goes, no, 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 you'll be fine. I'm like, I'm going to hit the concrete. I'm going to hit the concrete. And uh, he was like, no, 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 you won't. No one's hit the concrete yet. I'm like, yeah, but I can be the first one. And so I'm holding on to these rails. And in the end, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. And he goes, okay, what we're going to do, I'm going to open the gate. So we open the gate. And like, my knees are just, I mean, my whole body is shaking. And uh, he says, what I want you to do, he goes, we're going to count to three. And we're going to shout one, two, 
three, and on the three, you're going to shout bungee, and you're going to jump. And so we're there, and he goes, and he goes, one. I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm like, I'm, I'm still looking at the concrete, and I'm like, I need to close my eyes. So I stand there, and I'm like, okay, we're ready. So we both shout together, one, two, three, and then I shouted bungee. And I jumped, and uh, it was one of the most uh, incredible physical experiences I've ever, I've, I've ever had in my life. And I went into the water, and uh, I had like a top on. Uh, I should have just done it like bare-chested because the top like went over my head, and I couldn't see a thing, and I was like dangling all around. And I went into the water a few times, but it was just incredible. I mean, it was a great, uh, a great thing to do. So uh, if you ever got a chance to bungee jump, I recommend it as well. But you may break your leg a few weeks after, so try not to. But my question to you today is, have you ever been in a place where you know that you need to jump to take a risk, but you've you've become very afraid to do it? Have you ever been personally in that place? You may have not been 150 feet up in a crane, but have you been in that place in your life where you know you've needed to make a jump but you've become very afraid. Your knees start trembling. Your heart start beating. And, and you're thinking, I can't do it. Your knuckles get white because you're, just, you're grabbing onto something. And many people, they back out of the jump. I actually watched people on that vacation go up and come back down because they looked over and they couldn't make the jump. They couldn't do it. But then others... I mean, crazy people, they would go up and make the jump and they would do all these backflips and they didn't care and they would just be totally unaware of the dangers of that jump. And I'm thinking, they must be totally off their minds to to do that. And sometimes in our lives, we can be like that. We can be so scared to jump or we can be so careless that we just jump into something straight away. However, there were those people who calculate the risks of a jump. They realize that there is danger in a risk. They realize that jumping, there is a risk. And when there is a risk, there is is always a percentage that that they could fail. But they calculate those risks. And they put all the precautions in place so that when they jump, that they are in the best place to jump. I didn't have to calculate the risks on that bungee jump because they had done it for me, the professionals. But yet they had already calculated the risk for me so that I could jump. And sometimes when we... Don't jump. Sometimes when we feel that we need to jump and make a risk, and we need to step out and do something, and we back out, sometimes we could be missing some of the best experiences of our lives. You know, some of the best things that can happen in your lives will involve you having to step out and take a risk. You know, thousands of years ago, before the bungee was ever invented, there was a man who had just become a leader of a nation. In fact, the former leader was his friend, it was his mentor, and he just died. And there was a a nation of, we're not entirely sure, know how many, but close to almost a million people that this man now had to lead. And this other leader, he had been in, in place for 40 years. People loved him, some people didn't like him, but they knew that he was a good leader. And now this man came and he had to become the new leader of this nation. And now it was up to this new leader to come and dream the dream and live the dream of the former leader. In fact, to make matters worse, this nation had nowhere to live. It's not like us who live in the good old United States. They had no place to live. This nation was a people who just wandered around like desert nomads for 40 years. In fact, 
The people who had originally set out on a dream to find a nation, to find a place to live, they'd all died in the wilderness. They'd taken a step of faith, but for them, the step didn't work and didn't, and, and didn't pan out. And in, in fact, in the end, they all died. And what happened now, you've got a bunch of kids who all they've known in life is that they live in a desert. They don't know the goodness of, of eating fruit and eating uh, chocolate and eating burgers. All they know is that, like, pieces of bread. That's all they've, they've got to eat all their lives. And these people who had grown up, they'd become sick and tired of the desert. They knew that there was more to life. And this new leader now was coming into place. And everybody had high hopes that they were going to take them out of this desert into a new place that they were just going to find that was going to be incredible, that they were going to find purpose, they were going to find hope, they were going to find life, and they were going to find good food in their lives. This man's name, this new leader was Joshua. Joshua had a choice. Jump forward into what God had promised them or step back and stay in the place that they had always been. Jump forward into the promises that God had for them or, st- or just stay back in the place that they had always been. You see, what had happened that God had promised this nation, and it was the nation of Israel. He had promised that, that, uh, that they would go into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. They were, basically, they were promised a land that was going to be an incredible place. A land that, that they were going to be able to fulfill all their dreams. A land where they were going to just be happy and they were able to come together. A land where they weren't going to hurt. A land where they, they weren't going to be in need. A land where they weren't going to starve. But they were going to be in a place where what God had promised where they, were going to be, they weren't going to be hungry, but they were going to be full. Where their kids could go out and play. And instead of a fear of the kids going out, and dying like in in the desert. And these people looked to Joshua. And so Joshua was ready to take on the challenge. He was like, I'm the new leader. I'm going to take these people into this land. The land was called the land of Canaan. And it was a vast land. And it was, there, was, there, was, there was vegetation. There was trees. There was grass. There was, there was fruit. There was everything. But there was only one problem for Joshua. A big obstacle came in the way for Joshua. And this obstacle came in the form of a river. Not just any river. It's not like uh, just, uh, not even like the Susquehanna River. I mean, I think I may be able to swim across it if I like trained and tried to do it. But this river was a huge river. It was called the River Jordan. And at the time, the Bible tells us, and we'll look in the Bible in a minute, but at, at the time, the Bible says that it was overflowing and it was flood season. Have you ever seen like when the Mississippi like floods, like pictures? It just sprawls for, for, for age upon age and like, like miles upon miles. Like you, you don't know where, where the banks of the river are. And this is what happened with this river called the River Jordan. And these people, they had to cross this river. But then, but imagine taking a million, almost a million people and trying to cross a river. With all their goods, with all their cattle, with, with, with all their, their homes, their tents, all their kids. It was an impossible task. And Joshua had a choice. Joshua could trust in God and make the step of faith. Or he could just stay back in the desert and hope for a better day. Hope for another season. Hope that that river would dry up. And basically, to cut a long story short, Joshua made the jump. Joshua decided, I'm going to one, two, three bungee. I'm going to make this jump and we're going to see what happens. In fact, Joshua calculated the risks. 
He made sure that if the worst would happen, that there would only be a limited loss of life. And then Joshua went and put his foot in the water. And a miracle happened. The people started to cross. The water stopped flowing. In fact, the riverbed became so dry that it felt like there was no water there at all. And they looked upstream. And all they saw, because they made this jump of faith, there was a big wall of water that God had stopped. You see, these people, they had heard of their parents crossing the Red Sea. Remember when Moses, like, you know, got his stick and, you know, and split the Red Sea in half? These people had heard their parents talk about this story. But yet, for them, they never experienced God in such a way. But now, for the first time, they were seeing a God of miracles. And Joshua's jump paid off. This nation went from rags to riches. They went from hungry to full. And they experienced something their parents never experienced. And that is a promised land. And even though Joshua's jump paid off, it could have gone very wrong. I bet Joshua's in two minds about making the jump. About making the crossing. But he made the crossing because he stepped out in faith for God. And we're going to see three things very quickly this morning. We're not going to keep you long. But very th- very three things that we see that Joshua did that we need to do in our lives in order to step out in faith for God. And the first one is this. It's fa- if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. And we see here in verse 3. I'll start at verse 2. It says, three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp or went through the nation, giving out the instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never trawled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the Ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. So this hasn't even happened yet, but Joshua is saying, God is going to do great things among you. Then he says, in the morning, Joshua said to the priest, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. So they started out and they went ahead of the people. The first thing we see that Joshua did, he sent the leaders first. He sent the leaders first. He sent the priests first. God decided that the people who were going to lead the people spiritually were also going to lead them physically. And I say, one of the things I know as a leader that I have to do, I have to be an example to you guys. And people in leadership here at Generation Church also have to be an example to everybody else. We're the ones who have to make the first step. Because I know if I don't make, a fir- if I don't make the first step, then I may be holding you guys back from making that step as well. And I know the leaders here at the church, if they don't make that first step in faith, if they don't walk in faith and step out in faith, then the rest of us may not step out in faith. And this was the same thing for this nation. Joshua said, the priests are going to be first. Basically, the spiritual leaders of this place are going to be first. And they're the ones who are going to step out. You notice, it wasn't the warriors. It wasn't the strongest men. It was the priests. The priests were the ones who worshipped God. They were the ones who made sacrifices unto God. They were the ones to make sure everybody was in sync with God. So what does this mean for us? I mean, we're not like Levitical priests or anything like that. We don't make sacrifices like they do. You know, we don't do the things that they do. 
But in fact, the Bible tells us that each and every one of us, we are actually priests. We are priests of God. And when I'm talking about priests, I'm not talking about, you know, if you walk into to, to a Catholic church and uh, good old Father Ted or something is there. And I'm not talking about that priest. I'm talking about the priests of the church of Jesus Christ. Let's take a very quick look. In, in, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And verse 4. It says this. You are coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's holy temple. He was rejected by the people. But he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building in this spiritual temple. What's more... You are his holy priests. So Peter is writing to the church here and he's saying that you, each and every one individually of you, you are priests of God. And then in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Jesus is the stone that makes people stumble. The rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they do not obey God's word. So they meet the faith that was planned for them. But then he says this, but you... And he's talking to the church, talking to us. But you are not like that. For you are chosen people. You are royal priests. A holy nation, God's very own possession. So Peter here is telling the church, he's saying, no, he says, in days gone by, you had these priests who were a certain type of people. But now as a church, we are all priests of God. Basically meaning we are all leaders. We are all spiritual leaders for God. And if you are a believer this morning, you are a priest of God. And this is what you've been assigned with. You've been assigned with the task to worship God and help others discover God. Worship God, help others discover God. Basically, in plain language, you've been assigned the task to lead the people out of the dying desert into a, into a life of fulfillment, a life of purpose, a life of promise. Our role is to show our friends, our families, our neighbors, our work buddies, the way to God. And if we don't show them, then nobody else will show them. God has strategically placed us in those positions so that we can show people just the way to God. Not to preach to them and, 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 and tell them that they're wrong, but show them the way to God. So the first thing that Joshua did, the leaders went first. The next thing we also see that he put God first in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 17. Uh, verse, uh, I'll start at verse 6. And it says this. In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And then in verse 17, it says this. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the, of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed while people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. How many of you guys like Indiana Jones? I love Indiana Jones. Red is the last ark. It's all about the Ark of the Covenant. Basically, what the Ark of the Covenant was, it was what the people had come together. They had built this ark to symbolize God's presence. And wherever the ark was, they believed that God's presence was there. And so they would take this ark, and if they ever went into battle, they would take the ark into battle because God's presence was there. If they got up and moved somewhere else, they would take the ark of the covenant because they believed that wherever they, want, wherever they went, they wanted God's presence. 
And Joshua says, we are going to put God's presence first. Or basically, we are going to put God first. God is going to lead us out first, and then everybody else is going to follow. And for your life, it's important that we put God first. Just like Joshua put God first in everything that he did, so too, we must put God first. Look at this in in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Just a very simple verse. It says, seek the kingdom of God above everything else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Basically, put God first in your life and God will take care of the rest. Put God first in your life and he will take care of all the rest. And for Joshua, Joshua realized that if God's presence went first, then they were going to be okay. And for your life and for my life, it's only when we put God first in our lives that that covering of God comes over our lives and God takes care of everything in our lives. It's so easy not to put God first. You know, we have these these inklings just to do things ourselves, to want to do things ourselves. But when we put God first, he makes everything okay. And sometimes you, you have to go through rivers to see God at work, but God will work. And you know what? Something impossible happens when, God, when you put God first. Miracles start to happen. Things start to happen in your life when you put God first. And the riverbed that may be stopping you or the river that may be stopping you from stepping into all that God has for you, when you put God first, it will dry up. And you'll be able to walk straight across it. Straight across it. These people have their priorities first. And I believe that when the people of God step out in faith. And then when they lift God up. Things that would just blow your mind would happen in in our church. You know if you put God first in your life. And collectively if we put God first. I believe that this community would just be totally transformed. Because when you put God first, incredible things happen. And finally this morning, we also see that Joshua put his feet first. He put the leaders first. He put God first. And he put the leaders first. In Joshua chapter 3 and verse 14, it says this. So the people left the camp to cross the Jordan. And the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. So the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water of the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at the town called Adam, which is near Zarathon. And the the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. So what Joshua did, he said to the priests, he said, when you get near the riverbed, the water's still going to be there. But what I want you to do, I want you to put your feet in the water. And then let God do the rest. You see, God sometimes doesn't just do it all for us. God sometimes wants us to play a role. I remember one time Jesus, a blind man came to Jesus And instead of Jesus just healing him straight away, this is what Jesus said to the man. He says, well, he he knelt down, he spat in the mud, he mixed the mud together, put it over the guy's eyes, and then he said this. He says, 
Now I want you to go down the same river, the Jordan River, and I want you to go and wash that mud away. And when you wash it away, you will be able to see. And sometimes God wants us to to meet us halfway. Because a step of faith isn't just sitting back and letting God do everything. A step of faith is stepping into the water and then waiting to see what God is going to do. And for us here this morning, I mean, we're in this movie theater. And and for us, like me individually, it was a step of faith that I had to take. And for us as a church, this is a step of faith that we have to take in order to meet at this movie theater. But we decided we're going to step out into the water and we're going to let and see what God wants to do. Because when when the people of God step out, God shows up. God shows up. And God asks one thing of his priests, you and me. Get your feet wet. Get your feet wet. And when we, often take, when we take a risk for God, it often means we have to get our feet wet. We have to step out. And for these people, they got to this water and it was flooded and God was nowhere to be seen. They could not see God. They could not see the miracle. And I bet all the people were like, oh no, what's going to happen? Where's God this time? But the priest said, no, we're going to step out because we're believing this is what God has told us to do. And as soon as they stepped out, what happened is the water just started backing up. It started getting shallower and shallower. And the, wa- and the water that was already there ran off. And then there was no more water coming. And they looked up, there was this big wall of water that God had stopped the water. And the riverbed suddenly dried up. And all those people that day crossed that river. And as soon as they crossed the river... Then the water started to flow again. You see, when you put God first, when you put, get your feet wet and you step out for God, God dries up, dries up rivers so that you could walk through. And there may be something in your life at the moment that you're like, God, I need a breakthrough. I need something in my life. You may be praying for something and it may be hard and hard and hard and hard. And all I'm saying is, put God first. Step out. And let God do the rest. Put God first. Step out. And let God do the rest. I believe this morning that we have a generation of people in our community. In our county. Who need to to cross a riverbed. I believe that there is a generation of people who, even though physically they're not starving, spiritually they're starving. They're starving for something of God. And I believe that they've grown up in the desert. They've seen their religion of their parents. And they're like, I don't want that. It just seems like dead, dark, boring religion. I don't want that. And I see a generation of people who have, who have just turned away from God, rejected God, don't even want anything to do with God because they've been living in a spiritually desert place. But you and me, as priests of God, as leaders of God, as the church of Jesus Christ, we know that there is so much more to this life. We know that there is a place, there is a land that is just flowing with fulfillment and purpose and life. But sometimes it means that we're going to have to cross a river, bear, a river to get it, get there. And I believe that this is what God is telling us. That we need to go out, we need to step out, and we need to bring this generation with us. Your friends, your families, your co-workers. 
bring them with us from a place that, where they've lived in the desert to a place that is just flowing with goodness and life. A place from death to life. And I believe that God is, is wanting us as a church to be part of that. To reach out to this community. And unless we're ready to step out, then those kids, that generation, may end up just like their parents, spiritually dead in a wilderness, in a desert. And as we conclude today, as this is our first service in this movie theater, I challenge you for one thing. Are you guys ready to bungee? Are you guys ready to one, two, three, bungee? Are you ready to step out? Are you ready to put your feet first? Are you ready to put God first in your lives to reach a generation of people in the desert? Are you ready to cross the river? One, two, three, bungee.